0: Revelation chapter 6. For years and years and years, we had our church asking if we could do a Sunday morning series through the book of Revelation. We took a long time to get there. Finally, we started it. We spent the last several, several weeks walking through uh, the first five chapters of Revelation. It's been good. We've gotten Tons of feedback from you all about how much you're enjoying this study through Revelation, and we like that. It's good for us to read the Word of God and settle in on the Word of God and think about the Word of God. You know, really and truly, that's what churches are. Churches can be an impact in the community, and churches can be inspirational and I hope that we are all of those things. But what churches are at their core are a group of people committed together to worshiping God together. A group of people committed to each other worshiping God together. We worship God 24-7 everywhere we go, everything we do. That's not church. Church is when people are committed to each other to do this together. It's only in a setting like this where we're actually being the church in the way that we have designed to commit to each other by according to the Word of God that's given us that instructs us on all this. And so us meeting and gathering together has to have some key elements to it, and the most important of all is the preaching of the Word. We are a church when we do this. When we say, Man, I'm tired because yesterday was a long day, or we wake up today and we say, Wow, well, we got great weather today. I would love to do some yard work, or it's Kentucky Derby season. There's a hundred other things that we could be going doing, but I'm a church member. I belong to a certain people. I belong to these group of people, and we are in this together. The hope of the nations and the Savior of the world is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has revealed himself to us through this word. And so, yes, there's a lot of other things going on, but we are here, and we must be here committed to this. And that's what we're doing as we study this final book of the Bible, Revelation. Well, The first five chapters have been a bit challenging, but not too much. They've been good. You've enjoyed it. A little bit to try to decipher, but not too much. But today starts the good stuff. Today starts Revelation chapter 6 and the seven seals. We will walk through the seven seals that are keeping the scroll closed, and we get to the seven seals. Then we'll get to the seven trumpets, and we will get to, through the seven trumpets, and we get through the seven trumpets. We'll get to the seven bowls, and it's going to take us a while to study all that. But it's going to be good. I want to remind you that this book is true, and it is written by God, inspired by God as men wrote it. God caused them to write what they wrote, and it is altogether true, and it is God's message to us. And so, if we struggle with it, that struggle's on our end. God knows what he said and meant what he said. We're here today to study it. It's Revelation chapter 6. The seven seals. You remember from chapter 5, okay, you remember from chapter 5 that there's a throne in heaven and one seated on the throne and he's holding a scroll and it's sealed with seven seals. And there's a question in heaven that says, who's worthy to go and take the scroll and open it? And there was nobody. And John began to weep loudly because no one was worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. And then finally they say, no, there is one who's worthy. He's not in heaven or on earth or under the earth. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And they did not say the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he tells John, look over there. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And so he turns and looks and he sees a lamb standing. And you and I know from Revelation chapter 5 that the lion lamb, the conquering one, is the slain one is Jesus. And he is the key to all of history. He is the savior of the world. He is the most important person of all time. He is all God and all man, 100% the God man. And you and I will stand before him one day. The Bible says that you and I and everybody else who's ever lived will bow our knees to him. And we will confess him to be the king of glory and the one with authority over all things. The one worthy of all worship, Christ. So he takes the scroll and then he starts to open the seals. That's what we're reading here today in Revelation chapter 6 read with me if you will the first eight verses now i watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and i heard one of the four living creatures say "With a voice like thunder come and i looked and behold a white horse and Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth those are the verses that we're going to look at today these are the first four seals of the first seven uh, these are the first four seals of the seven seals And we're going to break it up today because it seems that these first four are just a little bit different than the last three. The fifth seal, which we will study next week, seems to be really good. It's about martyrs, those who've been killed for their faith. Then the sixth one, which ends chapter six, seems even more intense as it talks about the judgment. But these first four go together. They're the four horsemen, and you've heard that before, right? If you grew up like me in the 80s, you know pro wrestling and the WWF and the WWE, and you've heard of the four horsemen from that. If you're in the sports, then you've heard of Newt Newt Rockney, the famous football coach from Notre Dame football way back in the 1920s. His backfield was known as the four horsemen, but it wasn't wrestling or Notre Dame that came up with the phrase four horsemen. It was God. The four horsemen here are the Riders that come out when the first four seals are opened. Now, if you're hearing this today and you're thinking, man, this is just so weird. I want to remind you that God wrote it. But I also want to remind you that it's not all that odd. We've heard of this in Zechariah. Several years ago, we preached through all the minor prophets. You may have been here then, But I just want to turn back to Zechariah chapter 1, just so that you can see this does not come out of nowhere. Hopefully, you've heard before that to really understand the New Testament, you've got to know the Old Testament. The Old Testament has introduced so many of these subjects. But Zechariah talks about this. I'm going to read just a few verses from Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses, four horses, four different colors. Verse 9, then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, here it is, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Later in Zechariah, that's chapter 1, later in Zechariah, in chapter 6, the first eight verses, kind of tells that same thing, The, the, the horses and the horsemen are going out and they're patrolling the earth, and they're coming back and they're reporting to God. It's interesting. Some of you may remember, it's been several years, but we preached through all of the minor prophets, and we explained that. And it's this idea that in creation, God has his, his people or his angels that are out doing things for him, and they are, they are working, they are checking up, they are patrolling the earth to use that word, and then they're reporting back to God what's going on. It's not exactly what's happening in Revelation, but it gives us an idea that we've heard of horsemen before. What's different here is that in Revelation 6, each, each of the four horsemen have a strong characteristic to them. Now, before we get into that, I want to remind you that in the Gospels, we see Jesus talk about the end times earlier Matt read from Mark 13. In Mark 13 we get them asking the question, when will the end be? What will it be like? What are the signs of the end? That same passage of Mark 13 is duplicated in Matthew 24. Matthew tells the very similar story as Mark tells in Mark 13 and they're they're very similar. So today, I want you to keep your finger there at Mark 13, because we're going to look back at a couple of things, okay? We're about to walk through these four horsemen, but while we do that, I want you to keep a mark at Mark 13. I want you to see some of this. At Mark 13, though, just want you to hear what is said. Mark 13, 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They ask Jesus this question. Verse 4, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign with all these things when all these things are about to be accomplished, okay? Jesus there answers back by saying, Jesus began and said to them, see that nobody leads you astray. And we loved Matt's prayer as he read that, that we need to be focused and we need to not be distracted. We need to trust in Christ and know what he says. We know that we are uh, prepared for the coming of Christ by believing in Christ. I love that Matt prayed that. That is the solution. But we're going to keep our finger at Mark chapter 13 so that we can turn back when we need to as we're looking through these four horsemen. We've said here often, and I preached on it a little bit on Wednesday night, with just how difficult life can be. The other day I heard one of my kids complaining about how their controller on their video games wasn't working and now they can't play and all of this. And somebody else outside of our family said, wow, those are first world problems. You've heard that before, right? Right. To which I don't think my kid that said that had heard of first world problems before. And so they said, what do you mean? What are first world problems? And so we took the moment to tell them there are bigger problems in the world than whether we get to play our video games or not. Aren't there? There There's some big problems in the world. One of the worst things Christian people can do is to be so self-centered that we think our problems are the only problems. One of the worst things Christian people can do is be ignorant of bigger problems around us so that we don't look foolish and arrogant and even ungodly and faithless by acting like our problems are the only problems and our problems are bigger problems and not being sensitive to the big problems that are going on around us life is hard and life is hard in many ways so much so that we find ourselves in in an effort to create kind of toughness and grit we use the expression sometimes that says hey that's life suck it up you ever heard somebody say suck it up buttercup as a way of saying hey get over it you ain't got time to feel sorry for yourself you better get up and keep moving In a similar way, this is what Revelation 6 is doing for us. Each of these seals are opening up for John a picture of what life is like, what the world is like. We see them here, many of these, as judgments. Things that God is allowing, permitting, and you even see this word here. Things that God is allowing and permitting in his world judgments because the world is against God not looking to God not trusting in God not believing God certainly not worshiping God and so one of the things that's going on in the world is God working to bring people back to himself he has ransomed people from every tribe tongue people and nation and he is creating a body of people that know him and love him and that's going on in the midst of a world that does not know him and so there are those challenges there are seven seals, seven of these that are open that further show us what the world is like and what the world is going to be like. One of the struggles that happens in Revelation is the big question of when. What's the timeline here? I want to say right now that this is not only future stuff. It is future stuff. But it is actually what the world is like leading all the way to the future stuff. So it's both now and coming. And I think it's fair to say that it's now and coming and getting worse as it comes. But that's why we're looking at Mark 13 too. Because they were asking the question 2,000 years ago. Jesus was answering the question 2,000 years ago. And yet we still see these types of things going on. So what's happening in these seals is we see Christ, notice here called the Lamb, opening the seals, and they then open for us characteristics of life, of this world, of our planet. So let's study them, the first one. Now I watched when the Lamb, don't you like that? We like Jesus just being referred to as the Lamb. Because every time you see him called the Lamb, you're reminded that he died. That's a good way to refer to him, right? The Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. This happens on all four of these. Each time the seal is opened, one of the four living creatures yells out, come. And then John sees. Now, I think it's worth noting that each time John sees and hears, that kind of lets us know that he's, he's dialed in here. He's, he's kind of getting it, right? He's not like way out there, like what in the world's going on. He's seeing and hearing. he got two major senses observing this. So the first one, I looked and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him he came out conquering and to conquer the first one is the white horse and the first one is conquering so what is it well the next three are surely bad things. You've got death, you've got war, you've got famine, you've got economy struggles, you've got all that. The next three are clearly bad things and so I think one wants to think that this is something bad. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of different opinions on the first horseman, the white horse, what is it? A lot of people that think this is the Antichrist and how this is seeming like a good thing yet it's in the world and it's a judgment of God and it's clearly not a good thing. It's a little bit it's a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? Is this a good thing, white horse conquering crown bow? Is it a bad thing? What's going on here? Well, one of the things that we immediately go to is chapter 19. Turn to chapter 19. Now, we're a long way from chapter 19, but Every time you hear of a white horse in Revelation, I hope you think of chapter 19 instead of chapter 6, okay? Because chapter 6's white horse is hard to understand, but chapter 19's white horse is crystal clear. Chapter 19, verse 11, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No questions about that one, right? Who is that? Jesus. No question about it. Faithful and true. The word of God. King of kings. Lord of lords. These are all things that he's called on the white horse in chapter 19. So when you hear of a white horse in Revelation, I think your mind goes to Jesus. And so if Jesus is the rider of the white horse in chapter 19, could he be the rider of the white horse here in chapter 6? Well, I'm not sure. And there are lots of different opinions on it. If it is Jesus... Why is it so unclear? Why does it seem so kind of vanilla and blah, just a few verses, really just one verse, a bow, a crown, and conquering? Well, I want to say that I think the first horseman is Jesus. And the reason why it seems to be so not a big deal and not so obvious is because it's the way... Christ often looks in the world. In this world, you have lots of religion, and Christianity is another piece of that. In this world, you have lots of representations of Christianity, of Jesus, and the Bible, and often so many are false and ill-represented. And so, from one perspective, like we see with these four horsemen here, we see Christ in the world conquering, yet we're not gonna emphasize it in the greatest of ways yet. Right now, many might say, yeah, but I got questions, whatever. And yet, at the end of the story, he comes back on the white horse, reigning and conquering. There are no questions about it. See, in this world, Christ is reigning right now. And yet everybody will often ask, sure doesn't seem like it, why are things so difficult? Why are there so many questions raised? Why do so many people fall away? Why is it so confusing at times? I think those are reasonable feelings and emotions and questions that we have. But I want to remind you of some of the promises that the Bible gives us. In Mark chapter 13, if you turn back there, he, he goes through all of this stuff about do not let anybody lead you astray. Verse 6, Mark 13, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Many people in the history of the world will come saying that they are the Christ, they are the Messiah, they are the Savior, they are the main thing, they are representatives of God, and they are not. They are fake. They are phonies, and people will follow them, and they will lead many astray. He goes on, but... What ends up happening, okay, what ends up happening in this is we get this emphasis that these things must take place, but keep preaching the gospel. And look how it ends in Mark 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look up at verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The truth is, is that God's design is that Christianity would function, advance, and prosper in the midst of all the challenges. We're here today, every one of us, to worship Jesus risen from the grave, and he lives, he lives, he lives. He is the very purpose of our lives. We will not be ashamed of that. We would die for the cause right now if we had to. He lives. He is our Savior. But at the same time that we are saying that, every one of us know people that used to be saying the same thing, and now they haven't. They are those that have fallen away. They've given up. They used to want to get up here in the baptistry and profess their faith in Christ, and yet they've given up on it. And the reality is is that Christianity advances in the midst of such difficulty. Think about the promise from Jesus when Jesus says, "I will build my church." and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we hear Christ saying that, we think, yes, power. The king is the king of his church. He's the head of the church, and the church is his body, and nothing's going to stop it, and that's true. We believe it. We preach the gospel. That's what we do, and yet we also know churches that are shrinking and churches that are struggling and churches that are closing, right? We know all of that. We know about fighting and division in hard times. And it's for this reason that I think the first horse looks that way. I do think that it's Christ. A lot of people don't think that it's Christ. But I do think that it's Christ. Notice that it's all positive here. Nothing that even gives you a hint that it's a negative. The rider had a bow. He had a crown that was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Conquering and to conquer. You can say that no matter what year it was, no matter what generation, Christ is doing his thing. Christ is on the throne. Christ is reigning. Christ is working. Isn't this the way we speak about Christianity and missions in our day? Yes, it is. How many times have we gone to a third world country where there just seems to be so many things wrong and you come back and you're like, man, I've never seen people so poor. I've never seen so many needs. Man, I've never seen so much political upheaval and and so many issues. And like, yeah, but but tell me about what y'all did and what you saw. Like, man, man, churches are awesome there, man. They're thriving. They're preaching the gospel, man. I'm encouraged. They got preachers there that are preaching the word, man. They see people getting saved and being baptized, man. Man, God's working in Southeast Asia. God's working in Northern Africa, man. God's working in the Middle East, man. Afghanis are coming to believers like crazy. And so what we see in the world is Jesus is the conqueror. He reigns. He died. He lives. His Holy Spirit is working. And yet, it doesn't always seem that way. It doesn't always look that way, but it is true. And that's what the first seal is showing us. The first seal is reminding us that the rider of the white horse is the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't see him always these days the way you see him in chapter 19. And that's the reality. Tom Schreiner writes, One characteristic of this present age is the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples in all places, right? For as much as this world might be not into Jesus... It is still the mission of his church to tell the world about Jesus. He goes on and says, Amid the woes and sufferings of the present age, the gospel continues to be proclaimed and to triumph throughout the whole world. And it does. So the first characteristic of the world, of this life that we see, is the first horseman, the white horse, and the rider is The conqueror, Jesus. All right, the second one, starting in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted. You see the language there? Its rider was permitted. The authority and reign of God is not in question here. But look what he's permitted to do. To take peace from the earth. So that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. What the second horseman shows us is war, as strife, as disagreements and conflict are truly a characteristic of this world, this fallen world. We can't get along, we can't agree. And while it is very uh, cliche, let's say, to say we stand for peace and everybody in the world wants peace, we cannot accomplish peace on our own efforts. It's a reality. We go back 50 years, we go back 150 years, we go back 500 years or 1,000 years, and there just is no peace. Peace. This is why it's important for us to understand that what God is doing in the world through the work of Christ is he's creating peace, first and foremost, peace in the hearts of people who do not have peace with God. We are to be aware of our need for peace, first and foremost, with God as we recognize the need for peace in our world as every one of us wrestles with the lack of peace. Notice that the second horseman was permitted to take peace. We don't like it. We certainly don't like to admit it, but if you will allow yourself for a moment to drift away from perpetual optimism, it's pretty discouraging to look at the state of the world, isn't it? Now, maybe you're not a perpetual optimist like many of us are. Maybe you watch the news every day and you're always discouraged. I hope not. I really hope not. But it sure is difficult to think about how much war there is. There's war going on all over the place now. We've got war on multiple continents. I'm only 42 years old, and I can think of several wars that have happened in my lifetime. And people that are older than me, like my grandparents' generation, they've known all kinds of wars. You can go down to Walmart today and you'll see a man wearing a hat proud that he was in a war. That's just our country. War is a characteristic of this world. It's been permitted by God, but it's not a good thing. In it, we have people slaying one another. In it, we have them given a great sword. It's a characteristic. But I want us to recognize here how it's described first, permitted to take Peace. If our world so struggles to have peace, which it does, it should cause us to look to the one who gives peace. And while we should labor in every way to create peace, you should eventually humble yourself and recognize we will not have peace until we have God reigning. We will not have peace until we have God reigning. And in so many ways, we recognize that will never fully happen until that other white horse returns. From Revelation 19. The second seal brings on the second horseman, which is about war, the taking of peace. The third one, verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the, the third living creature say, Come, and I looked. And behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. This horseman here, this seal here, the third one, is about famine. The first one I'm saying is the conqueror, which is Jesus, The second one is war, the taking of peace. The third one is famine. And this is a sad one to discuss, but our world has often been characterized by famine. The need for ways to eat. We get reports now, I watched a documentary just last year, of places in Africa where there is so little food that moms make cakes out of mud for their kids to eat. True story got an email last month from missionaries working in Sri Lanka that say things are so bad there that the government turns off electricity for everyone at times 12 hours a day and they're so low on food in Sri Lanka right now that you have to go and it get rationed out to certain people and the families with lots of people just do not get to eat those are just a few examples and you've heard of them Notice here that it gives us some detail about the famine. There's scales showing that we're going to have to ration out. But at verse 6, it says a quart of wheat for a denarius. And you probably have a footnote that that tells you a denarius is a day's wage. You work all day just to get a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley for a denarius. When we talk about first world problems, we seem to forget that there are places in the world where people don't eat. We get frustrated if the restaurant's out of our favorite food. We get frustrated if they're out of ketchup, how are we going to eat our fries without ketchup? I mean, come on people. This is kind of the way we think. But there's places in the world where people don't eat. Matter of fact, we were approached about seven years ago by the Dare to Care Food Pantry that Fairdale is known as a place in South Louisville where there are high numbers of people that do not eat. They asked if we would become a distributor. And on a regular basis, I know there's questions about, you know, who comes, who shouldn't come, and should they even be there? They got nicer cars than us in the food line and all that. Uh, Say what you want about that. That is difficult to understand. But every week we have people coming through desperate for food saying they don't eat unless they get this. That's right here. That's right here. Y'all don't need the sad stories about what's going on in Africa. We're told that there are people here that do not eat. So famine is a problem with our world. But Jesus predicted this. If if you're feeling weird about all that, turn back. Turn back. Mark chapter 13, verse 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's talking about the wars. There will be earthquakes in various places. But look at this. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I'm not here to say that Faraday in a famine. I don't know. I don't know how to make sense of all that. I really don't know the answer to so many problems in the world. I'm just here today as the messenger of God's word that says there's a lot of problems in our world. So the third seal is famine. One commentator says, Jesus predicted the famines would take place before his coming, and now we have John reinforcing Jesus' message here. That's the third one. you got a white horse with a conqueror. you got a red horse taking peace. You've got a black horse bringing famine. And the last one, the last one for today, is the fourth, and it's the worst. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. What color is pale? A bland, ugly, tan color, and its rider's name was Death. War and taking of peace will lead to death. Slaying one another will lead to death. Famine and a lack of food and hunger will lead to death. But in our fourth seal, in the fourth horseman, he's just named death. Who's riding the fourth horse? Death is. And Hades followed him. It's kind of like there's another horse behind him. It's death and Hades together. But look what happens. And they were given authority the second horseman it says its rider was permitted to take away peace here it says they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill 25 percent of the world allowed to be killed now there's a lot of thought thinking well this is a future thing where there's going to be a whole lot of death and 25 percent of people are going to die at once and I, I don't necessarily think it has to be that it could be that but I think it can also be that just a large portion of what happens in the world is people dying and being killed. It's the way it's been, it's the way it's always going to be until the return of Christ comes and gives true peace. When he judges all that's wrong and he makes right all that's right and he makes everything new and he creates up his king and he sets up his kingdom. Notice that it says here that the 25% of everybody dying will come through sword, it will come through famine, it will come through pestilence, it will come by wild beasts of the earth. Here we need to recognize that a characteristic of this life is death. And a characteristic of this life is struggle, mourning, grief, and suffering. I don't get why we have so many people that preach a message of just positivity and optimism, trying to ignore that this is such a reality. It, to me, it's foolish. Let's be honest where we need to be honest. Let's be real. Let's be genuine and be sincere. It is often the case that this life does not deliver. And the more and more we keep trying to send a message that delivers outside of salvation in Christ, we are letting people down. On Friday, I stood and preached a funeral nearby with some of our church members there of a 51-year-old man that died and his two teenage kids sat right there crying their eyes out because their dad died, and because their mom had already died, just on Friday. And it was just like a month ago that we had another one of those that y'all remember. This is the reality of life. It's hard. It's not fun. And this life does not deliver. We often find ourselves going, man, life is often marked by sorrow, grief, and death. Say what you think about what COVID actually is, but the point is is that millions have died here in the last couple of years. In the Ukraine war, we are well over tens of thousands right now. Dead people here in Louisville. If that's just weird stuff happening all over the place, let's bring it home. Last year, was the deadliest year in the history of Louisville. More homicides happened in Louisville, Kentucky, our city last year, than ever in the history of Louisville. Before 2021, the highest year was 2020, but we broke that record last year. Homicides all the time. Death is a part. It is a characteristic. It is an experience in this life. Wherever you live, death happens. These first four seals are opened up, and the horsemen ride out, and they give us a picture of what this life is like. I knew we wouldn't have enough time to get into all seven seals or get into the six seals, but the first four set us up. It gets richer. It gets deeper. I want to encourage you to be back next week as we get into the fifth seal, which is going to take us to Martyrs, people dying for their faith. But when we look at these four seals and we get a glimpse of what the world is like, we're honest about this perspective, I want to remind you, please do not forget this, that the seven seals are bookended by pictures of the reigning Christ, chapter 5 and chapter 7. This is no mistake. Chapter 5 is that great passage that we we preached last week about worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you to take the scroll for you ransomed from people. That's chapter 5. And in chapter 7, we got the same thing, just from a different perspective, and it sounds even better in chapter 7. And so, those are bookends around the opening of these seals that give us an honest picture. Of what life is like. But a question then becomes. What do you say about this life? If that's the reality you're going to admit that. We find ourselves going well thanks Josh for that. Some. Good news preacher you are. Or you take it a step further and you say, Doesn't sound like God is that good to me. Doesn't sound like great is his faithfulness. You find yourself saying, What do I say to that? Well, isn't that a question that all people with responsibility have to deal with? Haven't you been asked before, What'd you say in that moment? In parenting, that's a question we help each other with all the time. Hey, when your kid comes home and he's getting bullied, what do you tell them? Hey, when you studied all week for the big test and they come home and you're like, how'd it go? and They start crying because they failed it again. They just can't get it. What do you say in that moment? What do you say in that moment is a part of life where life isn't going the way you want it to, and what are you going to say about that? And every one of you are challenged, whether you're a boss or a parent, or whether you're a Christian, And what do you say in that moment? And the reason why the seals are so brutally honest about life is because this life is not to be the answer or the treasure. And every time we find ourselves hoping or depending or trying to stand firm on something that does not hold firm, we are wrong and we're off base. Everything in this life is to point us to a Savior that gets us outside of this life. Everything in this life is to get us past our death, to get us to eternal life. And so we must be honest about it. C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself... A desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If you watch the news tonight and you go, unbelievable, same old thing every day. There's nothing on good on the news anymore, you've said that before. Don't shake your head like you have no hope. Turn your thoughts toward the rider of the white horse who will come back one day faithful and true, the living word, the king of kings and lord of lords. Turn your thoughts toward the one who said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The point of being honest in representing what this world is like, is to point us to the creator of the world who sent his son to die for our sins. What do we say in that moment? We say God reigns. We say trust in Christ. We say God knows what he's doing. We say God has all authority. We say if you will turn to him, you will be saved. God loves us, and when this world hurts us, the only, only comfort is his mercy in Christ. May you believe it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for revelation. Thank you, God, for the first four seals opened, and thank you, God, for the four horsemen. Thank you, God, that there is a conqueror, and we know the one who has conquered that sin, death, and the devil have been defeated. Father, we pray that you would be our comfort now. You would be our peace now. And as we see death and hunger and famine and struggle and war and strife all around us, may it not cause us to turn from you, but to turn to you. May we admit there are a lot of things I don't know, but I do know who reigns. Thank you, God, for your salvation in Christ. May we trust in you. Thank you, God, that it was the Lamb worthy to open these seals. God, thank you for the Lamb that died for us. We trust in him now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this final song, I want us to have a time of of responding. If you need to trust in